I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Justin Peach to my Justin Sane. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, you're all right. I'm very good, thank you. I, I got to admit that I'm not I'm not particularly not, I wouldn't say not in the best of moods, but I'm just nope. left a bit disappointed by the lack of drama in the January transfer window deadline. Why? I don't know. I, I expected more from a lot of clubs, especially my club derby. I'm just disappointed. I, I wanted mean, more. Were you, are you talking about championship clubs or were you talking about just overall, you know, Premier League clubs splashing out money on, I don't know, Paul Koncheski? <laughs> a little bit of both. I'm not really asked about Premier League clubs spending money because January transfer windows don't really harbour too much quality in terms of movements before lots of money. They never do, although Arsenal signing of Jorginho is very, very good. Um, but it's just mainly sort of championship movement. It's just been slow and slow and slow. And then we get to sort of 4 or 5 p.m. and then suddenly everyone just bursts into life. I remember that Chris Wilder, Sheffield United documentary from years ago. Um, just deep, It was just a nine-minute insight into transfer deadline day and just how stressful it is. And I imagine it adds years onto life of managers, but it's also stressful for supporters because I find myself refreshing Twitter every 28 seconds to then see nothing. Yeah, yesterday was, well, we're recording this on Wednesday morning, full disclosure, because I've just outed it anyway. But yesterday was me refreshing Twitter every few minutes to see if there's anything else that's happened that I could tweet. Um, (laughs) And it was exhausting, to say the very least, to the point where it got to nine o'clock and I was like, right, I've had enough of this. And then I've just woken up this morning and seen all the last minute deadline day deals, which have certainly caught my eye. But welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We're going to be looking ahead to some of the big games coming up in the championship this weekend. Justin and I will each pick a team we think will win and one who could spring a surprise. And of course, we have just come off the back of the transfer window closing. So we'll go through the final deals and talk about the ones which caught our eye. And we'll finish off with Diddy or Dinty right at the end. But before that, we've got a game of football to talk about. In all <laughs> the excitement of deadline day and who's moving where, there was an actual football match. Sabi Lemushin lost his first match in charge of Cardiff. They lost 1-0. Away at Luton, Elijah Adebayo got the goal in the 88th minute. It was great because he decided to celebrate by trying to fight Perry NG, um, which was uh, interesting. It was actually quite a fasty, feisty game with it kicking off at the final whistle as well. Players being separated by 
you know, staff members. And it, I imagine in the tunnel afterwards, because it's very tight up Kenilworth Road, it mm-hmm. may have uh, sparked again afterwards. But who knows? Cardiff played exactly how you would expect them to under Lamushi. They kept it fairly solid and tried to catch Luton on the break, but didn't offer too much, did they? I think that's just a symptom of Cardiff this season, isn't it, really? Um, they are solid. They don't... It's not. They are quite tight games, and I think they're going to be even tighter under Lamushi. Um, but they just like that quality in the final third, and it showed here because there were some good performances from the Cardiff players. Um, I look at, uh, I mean, Ryan also keeping the penalty out was was a good start, and Mark McGuinness in central defence was was good. But just at final final third quality, just hasn't been there all season for for Cardiff. And this game summed it up quite nicely because it was it was a tight game. Luton played well, uh, and Cardiff were you know good out of possession, but. It's just that lack of flair and creativity in the final third that worries me. It's not through a lack of quality in midfield, for example. Ryan Wilters, Ryan Wintle's a good ball player. Soyes is a good ball player. Rolls is, you know, his delivery is great and he's a good box to box player. It's just, something's just not clicking between the transition of getting the ball into midfield and into the final third. And again, it was the same here. And I just think we're going to, I mean, there, aren't, there won't be any more signings, but I just think we're going to find find this to be the case quite a few times for Cardiff over the next few weeks, months, I should say. I think it is down to the personnel, really, Justin. And you, you mentioned Wintle there. He's not the kind of player who plays that final ball, is he? He's more of a deep-lying dictator of the ball, whereas Sawyers hasn't really... He hasn't really impressed me no. for Cardiff this season. I thought that was going to be a good signing, but hasn't really happened. Joe Rawls is all right, I've got nothing much more to say on that. And then, I mean, you've got Callum Robinson, who's the only one there who can spark anything. And they desperately need to get players in to try and help with that burden that is often left on the shoulders of Robinson. I think this was a great summary for Lamucci about the job he's got in his hands because Cardiff are fine defensively. In fact, they're actually quite good. If you took this Cardiff defence and put it in, you know, a mid-table championship side, you probably wouldn't notice the difference. It's just they offer nothing going forwards. And that got a full showing. The attacking side of the game is not Lamushi's strength. And I struggle to see this huge, huge problem for them getting resolved itself with this appointment. So that's why the concerns for me are still massively there, despite getting the new manager in. Cardiff remained 21st with this loss, three points above the bottom three, but crucially, they've now played two games more than both Blackpool and Huddersfield. And that does not make for great reading from a Cardiff City perspective, does it? Luton now up to fourth with this win. It's their fifth victory in six games. Also missed a penalty in this one. Uh, Quickly, what did you make of Luton, Justin? I thought they were good. Uh, obviously, Cardiff, are, they're a difficult side to break down, Cardiff. Um, but Luton were knocking on the door and, and they, they got their chance in the end. Alfie Doherty's wing play and cross into Adebayo was, was fantastic. I said the other week that Adebayo, once he scores, he, he struggles to stop. He's that sort of striker. Um, and he's found form now, which is fantastic. But yeah, it was an overall decent performance from from Luton. Um, I was impressed with the back three. I was impressed with Cody Drame at right wing back. Um there's nice balance to the team now, I think, with him. James Breeze, for me, was the league's best fullback, but I think Cody Drame offers things that James Breeze probably doesn't. Likewise, James Breeze offering stuff that Cody Drame doesn't, but just gives this side a, a different dimension. And I thought we saw that in, in spells here. But yeah, decent game from Luton. Win, clean sheet, missed a penalty, bounce back from it. Yeah, a lot, a lot of positives. 
Let's look ahead to some of the games coming up in the Championship this weekend then, JP. It's banker time. Who have you got as your team guaranteed to win in the Championship <laughs> this weekend? I will just say that I am now on a roll. I'm officially on a roll. And I mean, It's a two-game streak, people. <laughs> How can he be stopped at this point? I'm, I was literally, I'm Dwight Gale from the week, aren't I? The ball's hit my arse and it's gone in. <laughs> this is it. This is the start of a streak, uh, and it's going to be rather embarrassing if it doesn't carry on now. So, who have you got, Justin? Yeah, I'm sweating a little bit, but I've gone with um, Sheffield United this weekend, and I'm trying to find out who they're playing, and I can't see it. I found it. It's Rotherham, and I see why. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I think Rotherham's form has been resurgent of late, but Sheffield United are just a machine. And I know I've predicted some results to to go against Sheffield United, but that's, I mean, the whole one the other week uh, was one. But Sheffield United, are, as I say, are just a machine. And I know people will point to that Wrexham game um, at the weekend and say, well, you know, there's weaknesses in this team. But I, I'm very adamant that playing non-league teams in the FA Cup is one of the hardest things you can do in football um, because there's no expectations. And I think that showed. Um, so I think this will sort of bring not a lot of supporters back down to earth, but this will be a, a more, we'll see Sheffield United at their best. And I think them going into this game on the back of scoring late in that uh, game of the weekend, will give them a, a fair bit of confidence as well. And they're not shy of scoring goals. Um, I, I was impressed with in parts with the Blades and they'll have a stronger team out as well. But for me, it's just their ability to grind games out and, and dictate where they go. And I think they'll do that here against Rotherham. And they'll be coming into this game knowing that Rotherham obviously got them got one over them at, uh, at Bramwell Lane, and I won't say they want revenge because I don't think that's a thing in football. But they'll certainly want to put it right. They'll they want to put that right and, and get a result um, at the New York City Stadium. Um, so yeah, for me, I, I'm going with Sheffield United. I can't see anything other than a win going into this one. Um, I think the Sandberg um, saga being closed will give them a massive boost as well, and obviously Indi being in the doors as well will be massive. Um, so yeah, McBurney getting the score sheet at the weekend as well. That's again, it's huge. There's a lot of positives going into this game for Sheffield United. I'm not going to disagree with you on that one, Justin. My banker in the championship this weekend is a home win in the Nathan Jones derby. I'm going for Luton to beat Stoke at Kenilworth Road on Saturday afternoon. Luton are ticking over very nicely now under Rob Edwards. He's carried on Nathan Jones's good work perfectly. Five wins from seven for them since the World Cup break. The teams they've lost during that time, Middlesbrough and West Brom, two of the most informed teams in the division. And we all know what Luton are about. They work tirelessly and are very efficient with the ball. Very sound at the back. Only three teams have conceded fewer goals than them. Tom Lockyer at the heart of the back three has been in unbelievable form this season. The midfield three, whether it be Clark, Campbell, Mpanzu, or new signing, marvellous Nakamba from Villa, all have plenty of legs, but are really, really comfortable on the ball as well. And then going forwards, Luton have got their pick of a, some very good front men, haven't they? Elijah Adebayo has got five and five now. He is a man in shit hot form right now. <laughs> but you've also got Carlton Morris, who, just in Peach's words, is one of the most underrated forwards in the division. Corley Woodrow, we all know what he can do in this division as well. So they've got, they've still got a great chance of finishing in the top six. So we'll certainly fancy their chances here against Stoke. And we all know by now, Stoke are arguably the most inconsistent team in the division. They're coming off the back of a win against Reading in the league and a win against Stevenage in the cup. 
Stoke have used up their win quota now, though, for at least five games because they've only conceded, they've, they've only recorded back to back wins in the league once this season. And with them, it often seems like when they win a game and then they take the foot off the gas for the next couple of games at least. Stoke are just completely incapable of putting together multiple good results. They've also just lost Harry Suter on deadline day, who's such an important player. Sure, they brought in Ben Pearson and Axel Twanzebe, two very good players, uh, but it may possibly be too soon for them to be included in the lineup. I don't know about that, but either way, I'm going for a Luton win in this one. What do you think, Justin? I I mean, we'll get onto it in a moment um, with our surprise um, results, but I fancied Stoke to get a result here against Luton, mainly down to Stoke's away form and hoping... I think this is the final sort of strand of hope that I'm going into this game with Stoke about them hitting some consistency and trying to gather some momentum with wins. And it's sort of Luton's, Luton's home form plays a part in that as well. I know they obviously beat beat Cardiff in midweek. Um, so that, that that might sort of dispel that theory a little bit. But I, I did fancy Stoke to maybe pull off a bit of result here and especially with these new signings that can be bedded in might spark something. Um, but as we've alluded to before, Chilean is just as inconsistent as Stoke going forward. If Ben Pearson and Tuanzebe plays, might might um, give them a lot more solidity at the back. So yeah, I may be sitting on the fence with this one. I, I fancy a Stoke result. I thought you told me before that you wanted to have Luton as your banker. No, I think I wanted Stoke as my surprise result, not Luton as my banker. Stoke as my mm. surprise result, yeah. I have WhatsApp conversations which say differently, but we shall move on. Uh, I'll go to my upset, Justin. I've gone for Bristol City to beat Preston at Deepdale at 3pm on Saturday. And the headline here is Preston are absolutely diabolical at home. Three straight losses at Deepdale in the league. Just three wins from 14 home games. In their last four home games in the league, they've conceded 11 and scored three. Two of those losses, by the way. One was against Huddersfield, who, as we know, aren't a great side. And QPR, that's been QPR's only win since October. So if you're if you're a team looking to get one win in you know, eight games or whatever. It seems like Deepdale is the place to do it. <laughs> it's not even like the fixture list has been kind, hasn't been kind to Preston. They're just shocking at Deepdale. Why is that? Who knows? Ryan Lowe's admitted it's difficult to put your finger on what the issue is for Preston's poor home form. Uh, with Bristol City, I think we're seeing green shoots of improvement. They're 17th in the table. It's been a very unremarkable season by all accounts. But they're unbeaten now in seven games in all competitions. They're coming off the back of an eye-catching 3-0 win against West Brom in the Cup as well. And they've been going with the midfield lately of Cal Naismith, Matty James and Alex Scott. Naismith, usually a defender, but I'm not against playing him there because it's worked well recently. He's a good ball player. Young Sam Bell has recently caught my eye in the last couple of games. Scored a couple against West Brom and then a goal controversially disallowed against Blackburn in the last league game. And Bristol City games are still chaotic as ever because they continue to be not the most convincing of sides at the back. And I'd be particularly worried about that considering Tom Cannon and Liam Delap have both looked sharp in their first few games up front for Preston. But I'd be very much fancying my chances of getting a win here if I was Nigel Pearson. So I'm going for a Bristol City win away at Preston this weekend. Justin, any thoughts? There's a lot of logic to it. Um, Preston's home form is is dire, and I think if you're 
if you're a Preston supporter and you're putting on accumulators, you may you may bet against your team this weekend. Um, but at the same time, um, I don't think that home form, that dreadful home form, can continue. And if they're going to pull a result off at home against the side, um, it would be Bristol City. And I know that sounds weird because of Bristol City's form, but they're in this hot streak that they've been known to hit um, over the last over over the last few years. I, I mean, they they were in a hot streak at the start of the season. They convinced me that they could get into the playoffs um, should they sustain it and that's not been the case I've been look, made to look a mug not for the first time this season so I'd err on the side of caution with this one but I think that's just me being stung by all my dreadful predictions well that's the Speaking. reason why it's an upset because you know that's true that, that's that's how they work um, speaking of upsets how, what's yours Justin? I was going to say, speaking of dreadful predictions I'm going with I'm going with Blackpool to get a result against Middlesbrough um, and there's no logic to this one at all absolutely no logic I think I'm I'm just sensing a shithouse masterclass from Mick McCarthy. That's the only thing I'm going with. Fair um, enough. Just you may as well just end your prediction <laughs> there. Just say that. <laughs> I I can just I can just it's, there's no there's no data to back this up. It's literally just I think Mick McCarthy's going to set up his side to be very difficult to break down, be very sharp on the counter attack, and have three shots all game, twenty seven percent possession, and win one nil or draw 1-1. That's all I'm thinking. Because Middlesbrough's home form has been absolutely fantastic of late. They've won four. They've won four on the bounce. They're coming off the back of a, a very good win against Watford. You've got new signings, Betty in nicely. Obviously, Cameron Archer and Chubabcom linking up in that in, in that win over um over what over Watford. And you've got Barlasid to come in as well. And Marcus Force has hit a very nice bit of form. But sadly, you just there's no force in the universe that can compete with Mick McCarthy, new manager bounce. I'm sorry, it's not happening. You look at that runny he made with Cardiff, and I know they lost in the FA Cup to Southampton, but it was a spirited display. It gave me a lot of faith that maybe this Blackpool team can claw their way out of danger, and it's going to start with 27% possession on Saturday against Middlesbrough and a result in some capacity, whether that be a 1-0 win or a 1-1 draw. (laughs) I've got no further comment, Your Honour. <laughs> Just then, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about some of the deadline day deals, shall we? Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast, and now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news and time for us to talk about deadline day. We're recording this on Wednesday morning, so the dust is still very much settling from it closing. I'm guessing all the deals are done. The big one that at the time of the recording, no one seems to know what's happened with it is Lewis O'Brien to Blackburn, which would be an exceptional move. Last I checked, he passed his medical, but the club haven't confirmed whether the deal's done or not. So I'm assuming it's not, considering... (laughs) At the time of recording, the window closed about eight hours ago. Anyway, apologies if it has been done and we don't talk about it, but that, that, that's the only one that I can tell we don't really know what's going on with. So we'll, we'll, we'll have to pass judgment on that another day. But we shall begin with Stoke City, who were involved in one of the biggest deals of deadline day. Harry Souter has left to join Leicester in a transfer which could rise to £20 million. Now, 
Justin, this is a very emotional time for me. If you could appreciate how devastated I am by this news, it would mean a lot. Harry Souter is a marvellous defender. His size is the first thing most people notice and it's understandable because he very rarely gets beaten in the air. That's obviously one of his strengths. He's not the quickest defender in the world, but I don't think he's a sloth either. I think he's quicker than people would expect. But the most beautiful thing about Harry Souter's game is his passing range. He is like an NFL quarterback with his passes and you would not expect to see that from a defender of his size. He is an excellent defender and it says a lot about how good he is that he's managed to get this move despite being on the sidelines for the best part of a year. So I can see slim similarities between Suter and Harry Maguire actually because well, Harry Maguire before everything went by the wayside with him because they are, you know, big burly boys, both got big heads, uh, but both big, uh, both great with the ball at their feet as well, despite their size. And I think this is an excellent signing by Leicester. So he gets my seal of approval. And I'm just very sad that Harry Suter has left us in the championship. Um, but for Stoke, it wasn't just a big sale for them on deadline day. They made two unbelievable signings. One of the reasons why they're unbelievable is because I knew nothing about them until <laughs> the morning after. Um, ben Pearson's joined from Bournemouth and Axel Twanzebe has come from Man United, both on loan. What a pair of signings, Justin. A really good pair of signings. Twanzebe's got, I would say he's he's become a player who I think many still think is 21, 22, but he must be 25, 26. He's, he's certainly into his prime years as a defender. Um, and that's mainly because he's might have loan spells. He's been sent out on by, by Manchester United. He's got a lot of, I would say a lot of untapped potential, mainly because he just hasn't, he hasn't played too many games. So it's a really good signing that they, they managed to bring in. Um, I think he adds an athleticism to what is a defence that actually looking at it now, has like legs, you know. It's it's had Aidan Flint, Phil Jagielka in it already this season. Ben Wilmot, there's argument either way, um, and then there's, and then uh, yeah, well, I mean the, the two that I mentioned there, and Harry Souter as well, who's who's a big tall boy. Um, so actually, two and AB probably maybe allows Stoke to play a slightly higher line, um, gives them that ability to press a little bit, and then there's obviously Ben Pearson as well, who we know at Championship level is extremely effective, good ball winner. And that's what Stoke have been missing in that midfield. So actually, I think with these two signings, it's going to allow Stoke to push up the pitch a little bit more, maybe play on the front foot a little bit, press a little bit harder, press a little bit higher. Could see a slightly different Stoke side with these two signings, which is strange because it's just two players, but they can transform a team easily. I am very much excited to see the return of the shithouse king that is yeah. Ben Pearson. Arguably the biggest shithouse the championship has ever seen. Um, my first thoughts of when I, I think of Ben Pearson is the time that he said, let Steve Cook have the ball, he <laughs> shit. Um, which <laughs> continues to be one of my fondest memories <laughs> since we started this podcast. Um, let's go to Watford, shall we? Who have signed former Southampton defender Wesley Hoot in a permanent deal. Saints paid £15 million for the Dutch international in 2017 and he spent the last year and a half at Anderlecht. He's clearly got an impressive pedigree and Watford needed a centre-half, so be interesting to see how good he is. Hold the press, though, because a Watford old boy is back at Vicarage Road. British Ombolonga back in the championship. He began his career in Hertfordshire and is now rejoined on a free after having his contract terminated at Adana Dermaspor in Turkey. Thoughts, Justin? I think it's one of those signings that if you go back to 2017, you go, 
or maybe even earlier than that, you, you think, okay, well, this could be a very tidy signing. If he can recover form that he displayed at Forest, then Watford have a very good strike. He's very good, at, very capable at finding himself in the right place at the right time in the box. Um, but his last three years have been underwhelming. His move to Middlesbrough was a disaster. Um, but he still scored goals. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm on the fence with it. The, the homecoming, in a strange way, um, <laughs> could... could um, could prove to be a masterstroke, but I think it's just adding a little bit of depth in that forward line because Keenan Davis is the man, Jao Pedro's the other man. Um, so I think Sambalonga will, will, will just be a squad player. Well, meanwhile, striker Vakun Bayo has left Watford to go to Charleroi in Belgium on loan. He only joined them in the summer, so I'm not sure what's happening with his Watford career now. Sander Burgess staying at Sheffield United. He was being linked with moves to Fulham and Newcastle. Ilaman Indai was also reportedly attracting Premier League interest. Now, obviously big news that those two are staying at Bramall Lane, but it does have a knock-on effect because Sheffield United obviously have this transfer embargo, which reportedly they would have been able to get rid of by selling someone like a Berger or Indai. Well, that's not happened. So the embargo staying. Interesting to see whether it causes any problems for them further down the road. Now, it was a simply marvellous deadline day for Luton Town. They brought in Villa midfielder Marvellous Nakamba on loan. He cost £10 million when he moved to the West Midlands. I think this is another example of Luton's marvellous recruitment, Justin. He was playing regularly and actually quite well for Villa just last season before getting injured and missing a large chunk of the remainder of the season. I think it's a really clever move, though. He'll reinforce that Luton midfield, give them a lot of a lot more strength in there as well. He won't offer anything going forward. I cannot <laughs> emphasise that enough. Nakamba offers as little going forwards as is possible for a midfielder to offer. But I think it's a very shrewd move from Luton, and one that really caught my eye. The midfield is already quite tidy there, but I think he gives them a depth of experience and, as I say, defensive solidity that will really help them in the latter period of the season. Meanwhile, the Hatters have brought in striker Joe Taylor for an undisclosed fee from Peterborough. Barnsley goalkeeper Jack Walton has also moved Kenilworth Road. West Brom have moved for Nathaniel Chalabar from Fulham. The midfielder signed an 18-month deal. Seems to be a man who will just get signed by any club with a lot of money and they're looking to get promoted from the Championship before being shipped off as soon as they get <laughs> to the Premier League. Uh, Marco Brighton is also joined on loan from Leicester, which is another eye-catcher, Justin. I like the Mark Brighton signing. He's a, he feels that Matt Phillips um, space, obviously Matt Phillips out this season. Um, so he's going to come in and fill that role. He's a versatile wide attacker. It's always going to be useful. He's, his delivery is so consistent as well. It's, it's, it's quite insane. I think he's one of those players um, that I would look back on and go, he's probably one of the most underrated players in the Premier League. He falls into that category over recent years just because of his consistency, his hard work, his energy and his quality on the ball. He's, he's got a lot going for him. As I say, he offers, he offers West Brom several options down that right-hand side, whether it be as a, a wide attacker, as a wing-back, or you know, if times get desperate, maybe as a full-back as well. It's just a player that you can give him a instruction and he'll, he'll, he'll you know, pull it off, he'll, he'll do it to the T and you won't venture too far away from a game plan. And you, know, you, need, you need players like that in a promotion run and Colbrand's attention to detail will probably get quite, quite a bit out of that. I think he's a very obvious Corbrand signing because he works his socks <laughs> off and Corbrand likes that kind of player. I am not expecting massive things because it's been a while since Mark Brighton's been a regular in the Premier League. He's been warm on the bench this season. And I think he's quite a big name by championship standards, but I'm not expecting, you know, 
him to set the world alight. I think I think it's a good signing, but considering what his wages possibly are, uh, I'm not sure whether it's the cleverest move. Uh, I saw they were also linked with Amari Hutchinson from Chelsea, which has it didn't happen in the end, but I think that would have been a really good signing mm-hmm. if they managed to get him because he's a very highly rated, exciting player. But, you know, all Brighton, all right then. I guess that's fine. Uh, speaking of a lot of money, Kenneth Zahor has had his contract terminated at West Brom. He cost £8 million in 2019, has played two league games in the last two and a half years and scored just three league goals in total for them. Got to be one of the worst signings ever at Championship level, hasn't it? I think so, yeah. I, f- I feel for the guy because, I mean, his agent's pulled off a blinder for starters um, because his form at Cardiff wasn't exactly telling of a eight million pound player i think his max um goal tally was 12 for for, for cardiff and fair enough but eight million pounds it's a bit like rudy Gustad, you know he has one good season um and that seems to be the trigger for for clubs to pay big money though i think there were definitely better options out there for west brom um i mean they signed charlie austin in the same window and he was effective but not great um, so yeah, that was an expensive summer in twenty twenty nineteen, wasn't it for for um, for West Brom? Very bad, yeah, very I, bad. I imagine Zahor's wages have uh, been a bit of a burden as well, mm. and that's made me one of the reasons why they're having to take out loans. Millwall have completed the double signing of Oli Burke on loan from Werder Bremen and Duncan Watmore from Middlesbrough in a permanent deal. Oli Burke is Oli Burke, and see, he was all right at Millwall last season, but the man has had a lot of chances at second tier and first tier level for that matter, and done very little in his career so far. So I'm not expecting a whole bunch, but Duncan Watmore, a very Millwall signing. Neither are, neither are bloody strikers, though, like natural strikers. Um, but yeah, they, they, they're they good additions to the squad nonetheless. Duncan Watmore, um, I mean, a surprise um Carrick's not kept hold of him because he's he's a very useful player. He's good for seven or eight goals a season. Um, you know, he's, he's put he's them managed... side by side though, Justin Cameron Archer and Duncan Watmore. Yeah, you put it like that. But again, Watmore's ability on the ball is is fantastic, isn't it? It can unlock games, it can unlock really tight games. But if he wants first team football, I don't blame him for going searching for it. Um and I think Millwall and Gary Rowett, sorry, Duncan Watmore and Gary Rowett just seems a really good fit. For me, you know, hard-working player with quality on the ball going to a team that wants to push on. Um, it makes sense. I'm, I'm not sure if we've been watching the same Duncan Watmore, Justin. He's, he has the ability to do something incredible every so often, but he also comes across as a player who can only run in straight lines. Um, I think he's, I, I think it's a good move for him. Um, and he's always had that potential before injuries, obviously scuppered his career. <laughs> Maybe Gary Rowett can unlock that potential, but I'm, I'm sceptical to say the very least. But he'll be happy to get some first-team football. Preston have signed Josh Onomar on a free, had his contract terminated at Fulham. Quite an interesting one, that, isn't it? Very highly rated when he was younger. Went to Fulham, had some bright moments for them, but hasn't played regular football for a number of years. But, you know, another player who had quite a lot of potential when he was younger, didn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Um, he's a player that I've always been intrigued by. Mainly because when I've watched him, I just I've never known exactly what he brings to a team. Um, so I'm hoping that this move can really sort of ignite him. Um, and because I think when you when you come from a big club um, and you go out on loan, and there's a lot of expectation. Obviously, he was at Villa, wasn't he? Um, as well, and there was a spell at Sheffield Wednesday. You, there's, there's 
an expectation carries with you. And I think that's done the same with Onoma. But now he's got the opportunity to to really push himself. I think that will be the, the best thing for him. And hopefully he can sort of just bring himself out of that um, shadow of the, the, the big sides um, and, and really try and excel. Because as I say, it'd be nice to know exactly what he brings to a team and sh- just showcase his quality pretty much. Well, he played quite a lot actually for Villa. Uh, a few seasons ago when they were in the championship. And, you know, he, I think he played quite a bit for Fulham last season, probably a lot of uh, appearances off the bench. But I think for Preston, this could this could either, it could go one of two ways. It could be a massive, massive coup for them, or it could just be another Izzy Brown <laughs> from last season. Yeah. So I don't really know. Uh, it, it may, he may just end up being, you know, a solid championship player. Uh, who knows? But... I'm interested to see how it goes anyway. I'm definitely willing to give it a chance because, as we say, he was very highly rated when he was younger, wasn't he? And the potential may still be inside of him. Who knows? Middlesbrough have been loaned midfielder Aaron Ramsey. Not that one from Aston Villa. He was at Norwich in the first half of the season. Looks quite good in spells. Um, I think Dean Smith was a particular fan of him. That's why that move happened in the first place. Meanwhile, striker Matthew Hoppy has been allowed to go on loan to Hibernian. Um, speaking of Norwich, they've signed Arsenal winger Marquinhos on loan. The 19-year-old has featured for them in the Europa League. One to keep an eye on, I think. Also, speaking of Norwich, Daniel Sinani has left them to go to Wigan on loan. I can't say I've been massively impressed by Wigan's business this January, but I quite like this signing, Justin. Again, he's another player that's always intrigued me, just because he was a, a difference maker at times for us last season. Um, and, uh, you know, Strength and depth in the top end of the pitch and some spark is exactly what we could need just because they blacked it. And, you know, I thought Callum Lang would, would you know, have a big season. He's not really paid out for him. Anthony Scully hasn't really had a chance. Whether he's good enough at this level, I don't know. But they just needed a spark in that final third. And um, I think the signing will probably bring that. Um, as I say, he's, he's got the ability to um, to be a, a one-man team at times, but he's also got the ability to disappear in games I think that's just a a young attacker uh, a young attacker's MO really Um, but I think this could be a could be a good signing just depends how he's played I think considering he was playing regularly for you know the team that got to the playoff final last season and now he's playing for the team bottom of the league you put it in that respect quite a good signing but it'll be interesting to see how he does um, playing in a team that are definitely struggling like Wigan, like Wigan are. Uh, Martin Kelly has joined Wigan on loan. I saw this move and thought Martin Kelly had already moved in this window. And then I realised I was thinking of Matt Lowton. Two very unremarkable but solid former Premier League fullbacks. Um, meanwhile, defender Omar Rekic has also joined the Latics on loan from Arsenal. Bristol City have completed a double deadline day move for Harry Cornick from Luton and midfielder Anis Mameti from Wickham, both on permanent deals. Particularly like the Mametti move. He's looked a good player whenever I've seen him for Wickham Young as well. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Chris Martin and Tim Closer have had their contracts terminated at Ashton Gate, while Hanno Masengo has gone on loan to Auxerre. His contract expires this summer, so I guess that's it. That's it for him at Bristol City. Hall of Science, Newcastle goalkeeper Cole Darlow on loan. Domingos Keener has joined Rotherham on loan from Watford. He was very good for Barnsley last season. Would be great if he played like that again for the Millers. Bailey Wright has also joined Rotherham on loan from Sunderland. Emmanuel Longello's loan at Birmingham has now been made permanent. Burnley have brought in 18-year-old forward, forward Enoch Aji. He's joined from Anderlecht and has gone straight out on loan to Mechelen in Belgium. Italian midfielder Cesare Casade has gone to Reading on loan from Chelsea. 
Czech international goalkeeper Thomas Vlakic has joined Huddersfield in a permanent deal from Olympiakos. 53 caps he's got for the Czech national team. And he mm. was Sevilla's first choice for a couple of seasons. Interesting one. Very interesting to see <laughs> how good he is, uh, especially with Lee, Lee Nichols being out injured now. And finally, 21-year-old defender Joe Anderson has joined Sunderland from Everton in a permanent deal. So that's the transfer window slammed shut for a few months, Justin. Always slammed shut, isn't it? Ne- never gently put down. I mean, I-, I always picture it being like one of those slidey down windows as opposed to being one that you push open. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, why can't it be like a, a fire exit door where it just like there's a soft close on it? Um, because I think that's mm. what... I think that I think that's the case with transfer windows. There's always a soft close because deals still get done after the deadline, don't they? So I know it, I know it doesn't bring the same vigor as going out oh, to transfer windows now slam shut at eleven PM. You just go now the transfer window is, is is closed nice and softly. We're landing with a parachute. I always picture that it slams shut like there's an old lady there who's you know she's surly, doesn't have time for all the business, but will you know, give you side eye when you try to talk to her. She slams the window shut, but then the deals that happen after 11 o'clock are just pieces of paper that are slid under the window. Anyway, the question I want to ask Justin is, which championship side do you think has won the window? Who has had the best January window? I'll answer first, actually, Justin. I cannot look past Blackpool. For a side in the bottom three to pull off the signings they've done is astonishing. Josh Bowler should be playing in the Premier League, really. I'm very aware that he couldn't play for anyone else this season, but it is an absolutely bananas move. I'd have been impressed if a top half side got Morgan Rogers in. He was exceptional a couple of seasons ago for the Lincoln, and if he recaptures the form that he had then, he'll be a serious player for them. Uh, It's a bit difficult to know how good a player Charlie Good is, but I think he'll be a solid addition to the back line. If not, Curtis Nelson's a decent experience back up at this level. Um, Tom Tribal was a very underrated player for Norwich in the midfield uh, when they got promoted a few years ago. They have significantly improved the squad without completely overhauling it. And there is no, no debate about it for me. Blackpool have easily won this transfer window. I think they'll comfortably stay up thanks to the business they've done alone also helps a lot that they've changed manager to the very experienced Mick McCarthy but this business is it it transforms their hopes for the rest of the season as far as I'm concerned completely agree um I'm I'm impressed with their window Uh, it's hard to see past them as as one of the the best sides who have operated and they set the stores out incredibly early I think that's what you need to do isn't it obviously the Josh Bowler move was made easy because of the situation that presented itself with him um, and then Morgan Rogers was a, it was a very um, not out of the blue, but I think it's a, it's a bit of a coup if you can get if you can find form. Um, Charlie Good, I'm a bit skeptical on just because his lack of games at Championship level. But as you rightly said, Curtis Nelson's a, a solid player and partnered with Marvin Ekpeteta. Um, I think that's going to get the best out of Blackpool because what they've missed is a natural centre half alongside Ekpeteta. Obviously, Richard Keogh departing in the summer was probably a bigger blow than we all thought it was. Um, and then Tom Tribal, again, if he can stay fit, would be a very solid signing. Um, they've solidified themselves. You know, they've got enough quality going forward, I think, even without the likes of Bowler and Rogers. Um, it's just defensively, they're a bit of a, a bit of a nightmare. But couple that with the appointment of McCarthy, they're gonna be a solid team. They're gonna be um they're gonna have a spark going forwards as well. So yeah, it's a very, very solid window for for the tangerines. Who have you 
picked as your best transfer window. Justin, are you just happy to agree with Blackpool? Oh, well, I'll agree with Blackpool, but I, I'll, I'll throw my own opinion out there. I'm my own person, Ryan. Leave me alone. Um, no, I, I, I debate that, but go on. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's hard to see past Rotherham, for example, uh, but I think Barlasser sort of swings me away from them a little bit, but I'm going to go with Middlesbrough. Middlesbrough had clear issues coming into the transfer window, i.e. they needed, I say they needed an extra goal scorer. I know Akpum has found the form of his life, but they lacked a natural forward man in front of him. Obviously, Akpum's sort of moved to a, a second striker all in behind him as part of a 4-2-3-1. Um, but they lacked a, a natural striker. So Cameron Archer coming in, who is this archetypal forward. He's archetypal number nine, where he can do pretty much everything. He can take the ball with his back to goal. He can spin um, defenders. His finishing's top quality. He's a danger in the box. Um, and if you get the ball at his feet, he'll be he'll happily run at a defender as well. Um, and I think that's um, that's the type of number nine that Middlesbrough needed. Rodrigo Muniz hasn't really paid off. Matthew Hopper, as we know, is maybe a signing for the future. It's a bit of a weird one. Obviously, he's gone out to Hibs anyway. Um, and Duncan Watmore wasn't a natural forward. And Matt Crooks is technically a midfielder, although he has turned into your traditional number nine, which is nice to see. Um, but they still need a depth, and, they, and they've solved that. And then Dan, Dan Barlasser, I think, is one of the signings of the window for me. Um, he's just a tremendous player. His creativity um, in a side that isn't uh, great going forwards, isn't productive going forwards, I should say, in Rotherham. And he still managed to keep himself, I think, within the top 10 of, sort of uh, chances created, key passes and passes into final third um, and assists as well. He's, I think he's got six assists for the season, which again is, is pretty impressive. Um, and then to, to bring him in, I think he's going to slot into that 4 2 3 one, whether it's for Hayden Hackney or Johnny House, and those two have been in tremendous form. So he's got a big job in getting ahead of them anyway. But he's going to come into that midfield and just take the creative pressure off Ryan Giles, Riley McGree. Um, he gives them a different dimension, which is. Exactly what um, exactly what Middlesbrough needs. He's going to spray balls into over defences as well, which is going to allow Akpom Archer force mm-hmm. running. It's um, I can't speak highly enough of this sign. Yeah, I'm, it's not a complete overhaul of Middlesbrough squad, is it? But a couple of very very good signings, plus Aaron Ramsey as well. I'm not sure how much he's going to play because I think he kind of plays in Tuba Akpom's position, and you'd be foolish to uh, take Akpom out of that team right now. But Two very good signings. Dan Barlasa could go down as one of the best signings ever at championship level just because of how little money Middlesbrough have had to pay for him. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm not going to disagree with that. Justin Middlesbrough were a close second for me. I think honourable mentions as well to Rotherham, as you mentioned. I was thinking them as one of the best, but then losing Barlasa, I think, mm. is a big blow. Um, I thought Luton. I've had a pretty good window. Um, losing Bree is a blow, but getting drama in, I think, is very tidy um and blackburn with the other one um who you know blackburn fans will be quite surprised that uh we're picking them out as one of the best uh, to have a transfer window but we are keeping in mind that we don't know what's happened with lewis bryan there if, if lewis o'brien had joined yeah um then i think maybe even the best because that is just a phenomenal move if it has happened at the moment we don't know as i say but yeah there, there have been a few teams over had very good transfer windows in contract news burnley midfielder Jan berg goodmanson has extended his deal until the end of next season the 32 year old is his contract was it going to expire this summer and finally we'll end on this rather concerning and strange story qpr say they're closely monitoring lyndon dykes after he was admitted to hospital this week the club haven't disclosed any further details about the striker he was substituted in the draw against swansea a week and a half ago and missed last saturday's defeat at hull 
look, don't know what's happening, but we wish him all the best with that because it sounds concerning, um, but obviously won't want to speculate any further on that. Right now, it's time for this. Did he? Yes, sir. You mind telling me why the hell you never mentioned this before? Yeah, it's time for Diddy or Didn't He. This is the part of the show where we have 10 players with various connections to the championship and a club. All we've got to do is guess whether they played for that club or not. He's got to have made a senior appearance for them. We're taking turns to guess them and we keep the scores as the season goes on. This week, it's my colleague's turn to guess and my turn to provide the players and clubs with the scores 88-86 to Justinho. Want the first one? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm a bit nervous this week. I don't know why. But let's go. Mind games already. Didn't even have to do anything. First one is Tom Ince and Luton. Did he or didn't he? Yes, I remember that. That was a weird one. It was, um, I think it was in lockdown, wasn't it? Nathan Jones signed him. I, I remember that one. Yeah. Seven appearances on loan in 2021. Um, I do remember it, but it wasn't until I was having a random browse through transfers from that year that I was like, what? Um, but then it it did ring a bell with me in the end. Anyway, one out of one. Next up, Michael Chopra and Coventry. Did he or didn't he? I feel like I've been a I've I've I wanted to choose Chopra quite a few times when when doing these, but I always avoid it. Um, if it's going to be there's Barnsley and Watford his early loan spells from Newcastle, so I'm going to say I don't think Coventry were one of them. You'd be correct. He oh. didn't play for Coventry. Two out of two. Good start. Scott Sinclair and Southampton. Did he or didn't he? No. No. I, again, I think he had like eight loan spells away from Chelsea. So again, potentially, but uh, I can't see that one. He didn't. Made it up also. Very good, Justin. Very good. Three out of three. Next up is Leroy Lita and Charlton. Did he or didn't he? It seems like a very Leroy Lita club to sign for. <laughs> a high turnover of players over the years and Leroy Lita's inability to settle at a club or find form bouncing around short-term contracts. I'm going to say yes. Eight appearances on loan in 2008. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. I take that back. <laughs> yeah, you should do. <laughs> four out of four. Saido Berahino and Brentford. Did he or didn't he? I remember this. I think I remember this. I'm going to say, yeah. I think he had a loan spell there. You're right. Eight appearances yeah. on loan in 2012. <laughs> what are you nervous about? You've got nothing to be nervous uh, about, yeah. Justin. Unbelievable. Uh, Jonathan Hogg and Portsmouth. Did he or didn't he? He did. On loan from Villa. 19 appearances on loan in mm -hmm. 2011. This is remarkable. <laughs> I know we're competitors in this, Justin, but this is uh, absolutely phenomenal. I've got to take my hat off to you here. Jason Scotland and Bolton, did he or didn't he? Six out of six, by the way. Jason Scotland and Bolton. What a player he was. Um, he was all right. Yeah, it, it, I didn't, he shouldn't have gone to the Premier League when he did. Um, he wasn't good enough, but championship level, or he felt level was good. Um, but Bolton... I'm going to say like six appearances, like 2013 or something. He didn't. Made it up. It's a good one. You're on course for a 10 out of 10, Justin. I'm annoyed for you. Jordan Rhodes and Brighton. Did he or didn't he? 
No. I, I can picture him in like light blue and stripes, but it's very easy to skew that with a Huddersfield kit. That's a tri- that's a, that's a naughty one that is, but I'm going to say no. He didn't. Made it up. Seven out of eight. Adam Hamill and Middlesbrough. Did he or didn't he? Got a strange career, Hamill. Very good player, though. Serious player. For the right club, he was a serious player, but didn't really work out for him, did it? No, a lovely right foot, but I, I disagree. I don't think he was that good. Um, he had a spell at Wolves and maybe a loan spell from there, but I can't picture it, so I'm going to say no. Ten appearances on loan in 2012. Seven out of nine. Your final one is Baza Bannon and Leeds. Did he or didn't he? No, no, he didn't play for Leeds. Seven appearances on loan. Oh. 11. <laughs> what year? 2011. Uh, he had a lot of loan spells as well. He had a lot of derby. Yeah, he was one of those who... See, he was. he's a good example of why these highly rated young players are worth giving a chance to eventually. Mm-hmm. He was shipped out on loan everywhere, never really looked like he was going to get a chance at Villa, then got a permanent move to... He was at Palace initially, once he? Then he was at Wednesday, and now... Legend. Legend. Um, seven out of ten is what you got, Justin, which is a fairly good score. Uh, initially, I was a bit worried about you getting a ten out of ten, but seven out of ten... Possibly a bit disappointing end, but it's a solid score. I think you would have taken that at the start, wouldn't you? Yeah, I've QPR'd my week, haven't I? I've, I've peaked really early in this uh, in the season. Uh, or in this in this case, I peaked really early in this in this round, um, and then fell away at the end. It's very very sad. That means the latest scores are ninety five eighty six to Justin. I've got a big old mountain to climb at the moment, but I've got a chance to. Uh, you know, make it even again in terms of games played. So we'll see how I get on next week. So this has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Sunday to talk about all the games coming up this weekend in the Championship. And we look forward to bloody seeing you then. So this has been the Second Tier. I've been Ryan Zilks. I've been just each. And a big, big, big thank you for listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.